Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. This is the show where we share cutting edge strategies and acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business. And we have a returning guest here today, Kasim. This time with you. We missed you the last time he was on, but he was dodging bombs and dodging babies at the same time. It was it's quite the episode, but yeah, we've got Kobe Topaz from Tier 11 back with what's working now. Kasim, you've got insider access. Even though you and Google, like, you get along, they love you, it's a love-hate relationship. But you've got access to this cool new thing that we talked about on the last episode. Now you're actually seeing it, as opposed to us showing you videos and GIFs. So let's drop the goods on what Search Labs is all about here. Yeah. So if you want to apply for access, go to labs.google.com. I applied and was just admitted recently. And I've been playing with it obsessively. And y'all, it's amazing. It's a modern miracle. So what Google's going to do here, if you're watching a video, you're going to be able to see my screen. If you're listening, I'm going to describe it to you. I'm inside of Search Labs and Google says, effectively, do you want to take SGE out for a spin? And SGE stands for Search Generative Experience. And this, by the way, is just the new Google search. So you used to search, Google gave you links. Now you're going to search, Google's going to give you answers. And so I'm going to click this little button, try an example. And then Google asks the question for me inside of a normal Google search. It looks exactly the way that we're used to search looking. Google says best age to learn a new language. And I'm given the filters that we're used to seeing. But instead of the first result, which is result zero is what we used to call it. It's where Google would put things like snippets and carousels. We see with the colored background, Google's generative AI results. Now, I've been playing with this a lot and I can tell you they come in a myriad of forms. So I've got a paragraph of text right now answering the question best age to learn a new language. But sometimes I've gotten bullet points, lists, images. It's very dynamic. And it's not a result as much as it is the beginning of a conversation. And so it gives me what's actually a pretty solid answer. It says, according to a study by Harvard and MIT, starting a new language before age 10 gives the learner a best chance of achieving proficiency effectively. But I can then follow up. And the follow-up questions it's asking me are pretty good. There'd be the type of questions I would ask. I'm 38 years old. So I'd say, well, you know, if I'm 38, is it too old? And it's giving me things like, is 25 too old? Is 14 too late? So I'm going to ask a follow-up. And I'm going to say, is 38 years old? And for those of you not watching on YouTube yet, this all of a sudden turned into a chat. We are no longer really looking at search, although the results do have some search options below. But now you're really going from options of clicking blue links to answers, right? This is the whole shift right now. And the shift is dramatic. 
Because if you really think about the search results, it's giving me beneath the chat options. Mm-hmm. They're so irrelevant and ancillary to the discussion, Ralph, that I don't anticipate them being here very long, A, or B, maybe turning into something like an accordion or an option that you can seek out later. But the mm-hmm. conversation becomes the core focal point. And Google's doing a couple of things here that I think are brilliant. The first one is it offers citations for all of the content that it's drawing upon for its answers. And I wanted to know how they were going to do this because pulling content from an AI perspective from a website and using it to create an answer is effectively, it's not stealing per se from an IP perspective, but you're not incentivizing content creators to create content. Well, Google's answer to this is inline citation. So the first response to my question is, no, you're never too old to learn a new language. And then it gives me four websites, Mondly, United Language Group, Wonderopolis, and Meadow Ridge. And Mm -hmm. those are the four websites that it used from an AI perspective in order to generate this answer. And so the citations are a far cry from being as valuable as organic rank in an organic search, but they're nothing. Right. The question that we're going to ask ourselves, though, is where are the ads? And they don't exist right now because this is in beta. But once Google launches, Google always positions ads to maintain continuity with the experience. So Gmail ads look like emails. YouTube ads look like videos. Search ads look like search results. How will ads look like a conversation? Tom, Tom, Tom. Yeah, exactly right. So I've got some theories we don't have to get into, but if you haven't played with generative AI, and this is one of the biggest shifts with the ways that we engage with the internet since websites went mobile responsive. Mm. The shift from desktop to mobile is about... I think it's analogous in terms of size as the shift from options to answers. And it's only going to get more robust. But if you look at what Google's doing here, 90 some odd percent of Google's revenue is ads. And maybe that's changed. That could be old data, but a significant portion of it. And yet Google, I've got a massive screen. I don't see an ad above the fold with this search. Now, let me search for something actually a little bit more robust. I'm going to say personal injury lawyer Scottsdale. And then I need to generate this AI result because, again, it's in beta. Now, obviously, some sponsored listings showed up, and these are $500 a click in some instances. But sure. even then, look at this. The generative AI results feature zero ads above the fold. Mm-hmm. Google's most valued and the most valued possibly sell you a deprioritized conversation. All the results shown where things get ready for this. The results shown, not the same results shown by Google's organic are two algorithms that are ten full of different searches. So sometimes crossover diagram, I would have assumed that they would be pair-pursuit. I assumed the trillion-dollar mechanism that has spent almost 20 years learning how to determine relevance would use that relevance in order to inform the AI result. I can't say it's not using it, but it's not relying on it in its entirety. There's other factors at play. This is going to give rise to is something akin to SEO for AI results. How do we, and it wouldn't be SEO, right? So that's search engine optimization. This would be like AI optimization, AIO. I don't know. We'll find an acronym later. But here I am, the first person to show up for personal injury lawyer, Scott Stiller, is year in law office. How did he do this? How did he do this? What are the factors? And how do you reverse engineer and replicate that success? Because if you go down organically, actually, he is the first organic result. But this isn't always the case. Oh, you know what's so funny? The organic matches Google's local perfectly probably because I'm doing a local search. But when I was doing this with other commercial searches, the matches were not pair-pursue at all. As a matter yeah. of fact, my other commercial searches, I didn't get the generative AI result until the fifth or sixth organic result from Google. 
So I think that that's staggering. It changes page search. It changes search engine optimization. It's going to increase the amount of, not searching that happens, but increase the amount of time spent within Google. Because right now what you do is you Google something, you get the results, and then you dive down the result rabbit holes. And I'm pretty sure we all do the same thing. This is what I do. I Google something, and then the top 10 links, I open all 10 of them in a new tab. Mm-hmm. And then I go learn about those 10 things and I spend time on those websites. Now what's going to happen is you're going to Google something and there's no such thing as the top 10 links. Now I'm going to have a conversation with Google. Mm-hmm. And so if where search is one event, my one event with Google turns into 10, 50, mm-hmm. 500 million. You know, it depends on how robust this conversation is. And what's cool about Google's AI is it's enabled with the same capabilities that you would expect from something like Bard or ChatGPT. At one point I asked it to put together a project plan for me to build a multi-camera podcast studio. So I started shopping for podcast equipment. I massaged the conversation to get the type of equipment I would want based off of my technical proficiency, which is very low. And then once I had the equipment I wanted, I said, build me a project plan with this equipment. That's a sales funnel. I went from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel in app. It is amazing. It's a miracle. It's also going to put me out of business. It's an unbelievable feat of human achievement. And it works so well already. And it's just in beta. Yeah, we demoed this, I think, in our last show on the Bing side of the equation. And one of the things that we liked were the annotations to the footnotes. But Google's doing this in a very different way. Now, my guess is that this is going to iterate over time. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> We're going to see lots and lots of different versions. And for those of you who want to gain access to it, once again, it's labs.google.com, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm still on the wait list. But the point is, is that this is the future here. They've released videos and GIFs and so forth. And it's like, all right, well, now it's actually really happening. I was at a Meta conference this past week. He's like, I forget what the phrase is. The CMO of Meta kept saying it. It's basically like the future is now and it's all among us. And it is true. I mean, he was a little bit trite in his, some of his statements, perhaps a little bit overconfident. But the point is, like, his message was right on. It's like, if you're not looking at this stuff today, and I know there's a lot of folks that probably listen to this show, like, all right, I'll let it sort of play out. I don't think this is the thing that you can let play out, because these are the things that are going to start affecting your search. If you've been doing content marketing for any level of time and informational searches are the things that have gotten you the most traffic, things are going to change. The better your content is, the better you're probably going to stand is what our theory is. And we went deep into that. We'll leave links for that show. The point is, is the future is now. This is rapidly, rapidly changing. I think we have a lot of people that listen to the show that rely on Google search for the vast majority of their traffic. And here it is. We're starting to see it. Where the ads come in, man, that's going to be an interesting thing to see and how that evolves. I have a feeling it's going to be something that we haven't ever really thought of. Generative AI moves from an options paradigm to a focused answered paradigm. And then basically says, is this the right answer? Is this what you're looking for more or less? Which it stands to reason ads would follow that. So we're used to being one of many in an auction competing for attention. That's Mm going to change if it maintains continuity with the way that the search experience functions. So instead of ads, you will see ad. Mm. And that ad will be what Google deems to be the answer. Like, oh, you want a multi-camera setup for a podcast studio and you're looking for a Mm. microphone? Yeah, based off of the historic context that you provided me, you're going to need this Sennheiser mic because it matches with the audio mixer that you've got. It matches your technical proficiency. And I know you want a lab and not a handheld or whatever. And now the question is, 
Well, how would that advertiser position themselves to be delivered in that way? Honestly, and this might be hubris talking, but the only way would be content, right? Yeah. The only way would be content. Rich. And content. now the question is just, well, what content and what capacity and what format and what, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But content is going to be key here, no matter what. Right. I was doing a Bing search, I think it was last weekend, because we're trying to plant shrubs in the middle of June and July, which is like the worst time to actually do it in New England, because all of a sudden it's like, it's dry, it's hot. And it was a series of iterative questions. And normally in search, it would be, all right, well, here's all these landscaping companies and like, click, click one, they don't have it, click one, they don't have it. And then finally, it was I think it was like holly bushes or something. I forget exactly what the answer was. And there was only one ad. And I'll be damned, they had holly bushes in stock. So all of a sudden, it made it more relevant and useful for me to make that purchasing decision for an answer. It would have taken me more time. I would have gone to Abishan Hardware. Then I would have gone to Lowe's. And then I would have gone to, you know, it was eventually this smaller kind of mom and pop place down Cape. So I went, we went there. And there is an example of a buying decision happening from AI that's kind of mundane, but it saved me time. So if you're thinking AI is this scary big thing, like when you talk to people outside of our industry, they're like, oh my God. Well, first off, it's already there. It's already being used everywhere. You just don't really realize it. Now it's just way more on the forefront because of chat GPT and all the conversations and the fact that it's on like NBC nightly news and all these sorts well, of things. And you can talk to it. Yeah. And you That's can talk to weird. it. That's weird. just said it perfectly, Ralph. Like right. it's been here forever. All of your search results from Google for the last decade have been AI driven. That yeah. is AI. Yeah. But you were always only just telling it what to do. Now it's telling, telling us what's you. Doing. That's what's creeping people out. That's what creeps people out. Yeah. But that saved me an hour or two on a Saturday or a Sunday, I think it was. The point is, is that I look at this as if you're not at least listening to shows like this or other, there's a lot of good podcasts that are out there, a lot of good resources. We can leave maybe some of the best resources. Maybe we should actually do that. The places where we find the cutting edge stuff. I mean, obviously anything from Sam Altman is always relevant. But the point is, is like people need to stay ahead of this so that they can plan for the future, but not the future two years from now. Google ads are going to fundamentally change in how stuff is ranked by year's end at the latest. At the latest. Yeah, exactly right. So there is your nugget of the day. More to come on AI. We're going to be diving deeper and deeper into that. And right after this break, we're going to get to Kobe. We're not going to say you're a boy band rock star anymore because we're just tired. We're just tired. All right. All right. Bomb Dodger and Baby Handler, Kobe Topaz, right after this quick break with What's Working Now. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, 
my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back with Kobe Topaz. We are talking about what's working now. And today we're going to be talking a lot about what's working on Meta. I'm actually at a Meta conference or just finished it up this past week. It was all about this. It's kind of the same thing. Yes, they talked to AI. They said, hey, we've had AI forever and ever and ever. And you guys have been using it. You just didn't realize it. AI must have been mentioned in the keynote, I would say, 27 times. So they're trying to stay relevant. But it is true. You know, as we said previously, AI now seems creepy to people because it's talking back at you before it was sort of in the back office and powering a lot of these algorithms, especially on the Facebook and the Google algorithm, which we talk about here quite a bit. But one of the things that just keeps coming up in every conference, and if you haven't gotten this loud and clear as of yet, is that media buying to a certain degree with the exception of some of the newer stuff. And maybe you can even talk about your experiences with this, like Advantage Plus, Advantage Plus Shopping, all these other far more automated and Google Performance Max-like tools. The media buying side of the equation from Meta, it really seems to me like they're trying to commoditize that as much as possible and make the actual management of the ads being powered largely by the algorithm. The one thing I think that was very interesting, and all the speakers said this, is to start with their BAU ads. Business as usual, do things the way that you've done, test your creatives, test what figures out, and then put it into the engine for like Advantage Plus shopping and a lot of the other. They've got Advantage Plus for everything coming out. So it's not something that's going away, which is basically an automated way in which to run ads, which, Kobe, maybe you can even talk about that. But at the core of this is still creative. That's the thing that even though they have AI generative tools, I know Google does as well, especially on the image side on Facebook, which is coming and it's pretty cool. The video side is still one of those things that has to be created either from the brand or from the agency. And we found this absolutely to be the case in sort of a force multiplier when it comes to the effectiveness of the advertising. I know Acosta, you said your team is going to be doing far more on the creative side, which is brilliant, which is the way we sort of see that going. And it's the stickiness factor for an agency. But the point is, is that if you don't have this sort of stuff, I think you're going to be left behind, even when the model, when the platform is powered by AI beneath the surface. So, Kobe, maybe you can go into some of the examples here. I know we've got a pretty good one that had an impressive reduction in CPA and CAC and really wasn't all that highly technical post-production wise. So let's talk about it. 
Yeah, so everything that's happening, I would say it happens for the best. And as you've seen like, in the last couple of years, I think like four or five years ago, media buying was hard because you were always after those small, sneaky tactics. I'm going to try this bit cap with this cost cap, that freaking thing, and I'm going to multiply my CPA by one and a half, and then I'm going to test it versus 2.3 multiplier and all that bullshit now that doesn't work. It's not where it is at the moment. And all the ad platforms are making it far less, far simpler, basically. Right now, media buying is easier, but marketing is harder. Because with media buying, like right now, what you're seeing is you don't really have to use all those small tactics of separating your audiences like that and testing this and restructure like that. It just doesn't work. Just go broad. Or just don't do all those small, sneaky tactics that used to work before because they're irrelevant right now. What's going to end up happening is that the machines are going to take over. Because think about this, with through these past four or five years, Google learned, Facebook learned, TikTok is now learning. Like All of those platforms learned so much from all those advertisers. The sole purpose of that learning is to make everything more simpler. So then you will need to spend less time on media bank, but more time actually thinking about the strategy, the creative strategy in particular. So all those tactics that are happening right now that people are focusing on, are going to become less and less relevant. And the media bank in itself is going to be significantly easier. So the ones that are very, very technical at the moment, I would say you will have to make a shift in your mind and start thinking more creatively. Put creative strategy top of your mind and not focus too much about media buying tactics. In this case, for example, on that account, we are not really using any sneaky tactics like bit cap, cost cap, all that fun stuff, because it doesn't matter. It's not what's going to drive the performance significantly. Like, yeah, it might help with stabilizing stuff a bit, but that's not the thing that you should focus your time. In this example, it was a really simple UGC ad where we tested two different variations. One was a bit educational, more than a minute, educated about the different ingredients and the unique selling proposition of the product and why it's better than everything else. And then the other one was short. Here's what I use for this. Boom, the ad crushed it. When we first started testing this ad, the CAC was $35. The goal is 91. So significantly lower CAC than compared mm -hmm. to the other ads that we were running at that time. With that ad, immediately after we started testing, we saw significant improvement in the overall CPA. And then we saw that there was huge potential on this ad. So when you see those small stuff, sometimes one creative can explode your account in a good way. One cost cap or bid cap or whatever wouldn't. Mm. So that's how creative and creative strategy is super important here. We didn't reinvent the wheel. We just took one person who's really good at the camera. And I would say that like he's professional or whatever, but just he can face the camera very well. He explained the product and that's it. The ad is crushing it. And we spent well over six figures on that ad. The point here of UGC is that it's got to look authentic. And if the person who was recording the video actually used your product, that's going to make the video even better. Because people can tell whether it's someone who just got the product and making a video for the sake of it or someone that actually used the product. So you're going to make sure that it's authentic and you're going to make sure that the person who's on the camera is basically relevant to your target audience. I see this multiple times, especially like here in Israel, where you have all these beauty brands that are targeted towards mature women, but then they put a bunch of videos from chicks on Instagram, like 22 years old, that clearly don't need the products. And you can see that all the negative comments there. So to summarize here, this one UGC, I really crushed it on the account and we tested multiple variations out of it. And it kept it fairly simple and to the point. Like, don't invest too much time on these small tactics 
Invest time in creatives. Yeah. And in this case, we're talking about the supplement case here, which we can leave a link, I believe, to this ad in the show notes, which would be really helpful for people to be able to see. I mean, it's scripted out, but it's authentic in the fact that it doesn't seem scripted. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And it's really sort of a five-step kind of approach which is educational, informative, but then obviously has a call to action at the end. And it's longer, too. It's a minute and 30 seconds. I wouldn't say that's like a long-form video by any stretch, but it's certainly not a 30-second or 45-second or 60-second reel, which is a huge trend. And obviously, coming from this Meta Performance Summit here, like that was one of the big things that they were really pushing was the real side of the equation, which, you know, we have seen with a lot of accounts, and one of which I'm going to visit today has been like a transformative at very, very top of funnel. And not necessarily even getting the conversion per se, but it's just the awareness and then the retargeting that happens after that and almost like a two-step. In this one here, there is obviously a pitch that goes along with it and you're getting conversions from it. But then my guess is that people who are engaging with that video and then maybe not purchasing right then and there, those retargeting audiences or those people that are hit with maybe another static image ad are effectively lowering CPAs in a blended way as opposed to it just being the singular video. Is that safe to assume as well? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Those people that engage with the video, whether they watched five seconds, 15 seconds, whatever, we definitely retarget the hell out of them. Yep. Yeah, until they die, right? Exactly. As the Wolf of Wall Street said, either they buy or die. So tell me about what this ad, what was the objective that we used? It was website conversions, I assume? Website conversions all the way. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Would a strategy for this be to do a video of you or like a reach campaign to get sort of a broader reach in addition to the conversion campaign to be able to scale out, maybe even hit different audiences? Or what's your sense on that? I wouldn't try reach. I know I'm not trying to offend Meta in any way. Sorry, Zach. But it's just reach is just donating money to Zach. I would definitely give it a go with video views to get to a different segment. Yeah, and get a lot of people to consume the content first. can definitely give that a go. Yep. You can use those videos first on a conversion campaign, see if they have any potential. If they are working, then go ahead and expand to other objectives as one of the scaling tactics. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of the five scaling tactics that we have here is, is, you know, objective scaling. The reach objective I thought was super interesting because there was a couple of really smart e-com people. And these guys are obviously in the e-com niche moving from an eight-figure business to the goal of reaching nine and ten figures, you know, as far as what their real growth is. So getting even more audiences, maybe with even different types of objectives, that's something that I think people tend to forget is that if you focus solely on conversion, and this is maybe just because I continuously get brainwashed by Meta, but I start to see it when we actually do it. One of the customers I'm seeing today, like this is how they do it. They do video view right at the top, and then it's all retargeting and conversions, more basic image ads to get to the ultimate sale for them, which is booked calls. But that objective scaling ideas, I think it's not something that we've talked about in quite some time. And I have seen some larger brands with the account manager who helps manage Unilever, Sephora, Estee Lauder, larger brands, obviously going for brand recognition, brand at the top. A lot of these names people already know, but the whole name of the game for them was 
customer acquisition. And it was using sort of different stages of the funnel with different campaign objectives to ultimately get to the conversion because they're all performance-based marketing campaigns. But even for the Unilevers and Sephora's of the world, they're using this same kind of strategy, top level, highly engaged educational content, maybe even brand-based content. And then the next step might be for a 10% discount or a 15% coupon on the store, or like when you walk into one of the stores, and then ultimately it's converting sort of in step three on the website. But it all starts with that top level creative, which is so vital. Once you start with your website conversion campaigns, and then you reach a level of success, looking at some of those other objectives is certainly something that Meta is pushing. But in reality, we actually see that working as well, which is a whole different way of looking at advertising because you have people who are converters and you've got all these other people that are on the platform that maybe aren't ready to convert right now, but all they need is just a couple of nudges down the path to ultimately become converters. Another idea is that one of the variations of the video is over a minute is a piece of content. And if it's working and it gets people to make a purchase, you can just simply turn it into a blog post and send people to a blog post, which looks significantly more authentic, can work really well on search as well. And you can just actually emphasize that it's a blog post, whether you're on the headlines or the ad copy, just emphasize that it's a blog post so it's less intimidating for people. Oh, it's an ad. Oh, no, it's actually a blog post. All right, I'll give it a go. You validate the content. It gets people to make the action they want them to make. And then you can just throw a spin at it. Dude, that's a nugget right there. I love the theory that blog posts are more accessible. It drops people's barriers. They're far mm-hmm. more willing to hop onto a piece of content. And even if it's really good content, it feels like a give. So yep. you use whatever ads are performing the best for you. You turn them into blog posts, and then you start marketing the blog posts. And you're very, very clear that it's a blog post you're clicking through to. You could even expand that. You could go like to Booler, Outbrain, or Content Marketing. Mm-hmm. I love that idea, Kobe. There's a whole model there that I think people could really dig deep into, especially if your product or service requires content-rich value propositions. You have to educate your consumer. Man, that's wicked smart. We did talk a little bit about that with Molly Pittman in that show. We'll leave links back to that show notes where one of the classic blog posts of all time is the boom by Cindy Joseph, five makeup tips for women over 40. It's not like a 3,000 words. It's 200 words. Yeah. It's a tweet. tweet. But to get the click, some of the strategies that she used in that episode, I think are really, really good ones because it is all about thinking about how human nature really is. Somebody who is not aware of a product, they are not going to buy always on that first click. You have to bring them through a process, through a journey, through a customer acquisition path. And you don't know exactly what that is until you start spending money on ads. You don't know uh, what it is after you start spending money on ads. Like it's hard to figure it's out gonna, what move the needle. Google calls it the messy middle. The top of the change. funnel is pretty linear. I can see what gets your attention. The bottom of the funnel, pretty linear. I can see what made you purchase. The middle, man, you got to pepper them. Mm-hmm. And you don't know where that conversion is going to come from. Right. It could be from the opt-in. It could be from the SMS. It could be from a Google branded search ad. The journey is messy. All you have to do is be able to think strategically and not necessarily predict all human behavior because all human behavior is not linear. Mm. It's chaos. (laughs) We can go into any of our tracking softwares and sort of look at the progression of one individual person, how many touches they have and where they go. Wow. 
it's crazy when you think about it. So accept that as the norm as opposed to, oh, I'm going to put a conversion ad out there with an image. People are just going to buy. Well, five, six years ago on Facebook, you could do that. Now you have to think a lot more strategically. So I, I think this is a good one. And one of the biggest things is obviously is creator content, UGC style content at the very top end. So, so what else you got as far as what's working now? What's our next nugget before we head to break? $20 CPL versus 42 using authority figures. Mm. Yep. All right. So the next one that we have here is a really interesting kind of ad. It's similar to the first one that we just talked about for UGC, but it uses like an old school technique, which we first started using when video came out. I remember consulting with Frank Kern and Dean Grazioso about like this exact type of ad where it used placards, postcards, post-it notes in these ads, almost similar to, and this is going to be a throwback movie for you guys, which has probably not ever seen because you're way too young, but it's my wife's favorite. She makes me watch it every single year, which is Love Actually with the cards on the doorstep. Yeah, Love Actually is pretty good. So anyway, so Kobe, tell us, we should probably like label this. It's not the post-it, but the Love Actually video template strategy or ad strategy. Tell us about this one. So basically what ended up happening here is the team started testing a lot of ads and different headlines, different hooks to identify what's working. And then they were able to stumble across a couple of headlines that actually worked really well. And then what ended up happening is they simply turned one of the headlines, as you can see in this screen share, is that they simply took the headline that was working on the ad and then just swapped the creatives, just wrote it in a post-it note, and this ad just turned out and crushed it. And then they used a similar approach with other two ads. So you can see here another example, nothing too crazy, but just they saw what worked and then you just spitted it out in the creative. Hmm. And what ended up happening, I think it was two years ago, Facebook kind of removed the limitation they had on the amount of text you can have with a creative. So what ended up happening is that those sentences or proven, they worked. The ads that they were part of, whether it's the ad copy or the headline, the ads worked. So then they took those parts and then just added them with the creative, which is basically the first thing people see on your ad. And then that also captured their attention. So these ads started like crushing it. But also the thing here is they look very authentic, like just your computer. And then like you have a note that usually you put next to your computer and then you just like have a plant next to it. So nothing crazy here but it's just simplicity and it's based on what worked. So that's the whole point of testing. You test, you see what worked, then you just spin around it to different ideas. And these three ads ended up crushing it for a campaign they ran, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah. And this is super simple. So if you're a director of marketing or a VP of marketing, like these two types of ads that we've talked about so far, these are the kinds of things was like, hey, listen to this episode. Let's start testing these types of ads because they're simple to do. Especially this one is super simple to do. But it's not just, hey, put a post-it note on a computer with a nice little plant behind it. It's all about you need to figure out what your message works and your business as usual ads to start and then do this as your second step to add some variety to your creative. Is that safe to assume? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So this is super good here. So love it. All right. Well, we're going to get into more what's working now with Kobe right after this quick break. 
Hey, do you want to work with the best client-focused agency in the world? I mean, one that helps purpose-driven businesses achieve their vision? Well, it's time you check out Tier 11 as a career choice. Right now, we are hiring for a lot of different positions, but the most important one right now is our client success owner. The CSO is one of the most important positions at Tier 11 because they're the linchpin between our clients and our team who ensures smooth communication and excellence in service delivery. When I built this company 10 plus years ago, I always wanted to have a virtual organization that has strong company culture and a client-centered focus that really took things to the next level, but also enabled purpose-driven businesses to achieve their vision through what we do every single day through customer acquisition amplification. So if this sounds like you and you have the skills required to be an awesome client success owner, head on over to tier 11 forward slash jobs, tier11.com forward slash jobs, fill out the CSO application. We'd love to talk to you about how you can take your career and our client success to the next level. All right, we are back with Kobe Topaz talking about what's working now, especially on meta ads right now. So if you're running meta ads, your team is running meta ads, definitely go back and listen to the first half of the show. We talked about, obviously, the UGC component of things and how relatively simple it is to do. And even if you don't have an agency or an in-house department to do this, you can actually take your product and just send it or give it to some of your people on staff and see who's good in front of video. That's an easy way of hacking this. There are a lot of creators that you can connect and we'll leave links in the show notes to that. There's even a link now inside Creator Studio, inside Meta. The point is, is a lot of this stuff doesn't need to be highly produced, but it works. And I think that's the stuff that really does resonate now. It's the native looking ad. It's blending in to stand out which is sort of an old concept that we've talked about quite a bit here on the show. And these next one here, these are really interesting because this is using something that we probably couldn't have done a while back because of the text role. But now you're starting to gain some traction with this using heavy text and really, really simple photos. So talk about this one as well. Yeah, so what ended up happening here is the copy variations that are running with the ads just are working, but... The team wanted to test different variable, which was the creative. And as you can see, uh, as I'm sharing my screen, in both of these ads, it's a simple image ad, mm. but there's just a big chunk of text. Yeah. And that immediately interrupts the user. And also this chunk of text, there's a small piece of content, but a lot of curiosity to get the click. And also, we also were able to add a call to action in one of them specifically. So... These images with just a big chunk of text with a little bit of educational content, but also curiosity and then a CTA are working really well on one of the accounts. You wouldn't put all of that in an ad copy, maybe because it might be too long. But if, when you put it out in a creative, that's the first thing people see. So some of them will actually consume that content that within the creative itself. And then that could help you with improving the performance of your campaign. So I suggest you try that on, especially that there's no, no limitation of the text. So definitely give it a go. You know what this reminds me of? I'm trying to remember the gentleman's name. There was a guy who used to build squeeze pages. This was back when Infusionsoft was really making its strongest run and everybody was using Infusionsoft and he was the guy that everybody's going to for the squeeze pages. You know, like the call to actions would head to or ads would head to. And what was interesting is his pages were horrendously ugly in so many ways. 
And one of the things that I noticed on his pages is the fonts were always disparate, different sizes, different font, different colors, different placement, left justification, just really weird. Mm. And I was in the room when he ended up going toe to toe with this gal who was like a brand guide for somebody. And she just ripped his landing page apart and he goes, your page isn't going to perform. They ran him against each other, her super clean page versus his ugly disparate page. And her page got it's the same content, y'all. Exact same content, exact same imagery. She just cleaned it up. Her page got no play and no his way. page crushed. Yeah. And it's the isolation effect. When you change fonts, I have to now, because people need to compare, I'm going to compare those two things, but now I'm reading. You change fonts, you change colors, you change sizes. And I noticed that in the ad, it was like, you know, the great big title and then the body, but then the red. And then it's not visually appealing but there's something about it that just stops people in their tracks because you're so used to things being visually appealing and symmetrical and pretty startling. Yeah. It's startling. That's exactly what it is. It makes you go like, what did you do here? And why? Uh, yeah. Look, that's all you need sometimes though. Mm -hmm. Is like that little, huh. I mean, I know yeah. that, like, if you're not watching yeah. on YouTube, you can't see it. It's like tipping our heads. Like, huh? Yeah. It's like, the dog. Tip. It's like, yeah, you make a noise? The dog doesn't understand. Yeah. yeah. Like, huh? Yeah. Kind of goes like that, but that's cognitive dissonance something that just doesn't make sense. And then we're going to get to an example of that in our fourth example here, but before and after pictures, like one of our media buyers, this is the longest running ad and they were showing before and after pictures of like a crappy looking lawn to a great looking lawn, crappy looking lawn, great looking lawn, crappy looking oh lawn, great looking lawn. And then it was great looking lawn, crappy looking lawn on the fifth carousel. It's like, that was the ad that ran. I was like, oh my God, that looks so messy. But we're all like, oh my God, it was the best performing ad for such a long time. Do you remember that ad, Kobe? It was probably still running. What was the mm -hmm. point of flipping it on the fifth carousel? I think he made a mistake. Oh, no way. And we just kept it. You know, we used to run ads for Perry Marshall, who's going to be, I guess, on the show in the coming months. Is uh, I remember I emailed him because I was writing all his ad copy. It's Perry Marshall, and he's kind of a god to me at that point in time. And I was like, I have a typo right smack dab in the middle of the ad. And his, all his people were like, we, oh, I can't believe these guys made these types of mistakes. I messaged Perry. He's like, is it converting? I'm like, yeah, keep it running. I had misspelled something and that's the reason because it gave that cognitive dissonance and it's like these types of ads and they match the landing page a bit too mm. because if you actually look, there's cognitive dissonance on the ad, but then there's also some cognitive dissonance on the pages. And I remember one of the case studies that we talked about a few weeks back, and we'll leave links to the show notes on that one as well, is when we looked at their landing pages, they had five different fonts. This is just a mess, but it was in a highly professional niche. It was in the personal injury niche. And so we consolidated, made them all like Roboto or Helvetica or whatever it happens to be. And the page, the flow of the page was obviously, it was changed. And we did a lot of sort of design elements, but that was one of the big things. It's like they're using five different fonts and it looks messy, but that's for a personal injury lawyer. For this, this is home remedies of plants and things that are completely different so it, like it just reinforces the fact from my perspective like the same rules don't necessarily apply to all brands but the one human factor is what you discussed or what you mentioned Kasim, is like if you create something that doesn't quite look right it's like it'll get people to stop 
And that's all you're trying to do in the newsfeed. Think of everyone as just doing this, thumb scrolling on the newsfeed or thumb scrolling in their Instagram. And all you want is them to stop and pay attention. Sometimes that's it. One of our highest performing ads at Solutions A, we were using responsive ads. And it was right when normal text ads turned responsive. And Google did the transition for you. And so the ad, you know, it's basically three lines, line one, line two, line three. Line one was the normal stuff. Solutions A, Google Ads Agency, we're awesome. Line two, we asked a question. I forget what it was, but it was like, Google Ads is our thing, our other thing, question mark. And then line three, we answered the question. Well, those ads, static, were fine. But when converted to responsive ads, Google chooses what's on lines one, two, and three. And we pinned line one, but line two would very often be the question. And then line three would be something that didn't answer the question or the answer wasn't there at all. And what's crazy is it worked. Like people would see this question, not see the answer. And then I assume just be like, what is your other thing? Like, you know, and then they click through and it ended up being one of our higher performing ads because to your point, it was just show stopping, even though it was stupid and a mistake and it happened on accident. Yeah. So the takeaway here is make mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I guess you can't be sloppy, but making mistakes and then seeing what actually worked. Like if something is converting, as long as it's not offensive, illegal, Against brand guidelines, of course. I maybe you need guidelines. Yeah. I'm so done with brand guidelines. It's frustrating because I mean we have customers that are like, oh, we got a great converting ad, but like the pink color is off by three pixels and it's not in line with our brand. I'm like, it's performing. Don't change the damn thing. But sometimes that does get in the way of conversion and performance. But I mean, I think you've got to be careful with these things, but also realize that. It also depends on the brand. Is a messy, ugly ad great for a personal injury law firm? We found that wasn't the case. But for something like this, it's a little bit more homegrown, a little bit more organic, a little bit more earthy, lo-fi, as they say at Meta. That's the stuff that actually works. So it's just got to be tested at the end of the day. So another great example here, we'll leave links in the show notes to those on top of that. So what else you got? What's our next one? I think this is in the lawn care niche, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe in the executive niche. So Yep. Yep. So the whole point here, and I can show my screen again, is just show what the hell you're doing. Show the before and after. Show your customers where they're at at the moment, at this point in time, and where they could be if they were going to use your product. So in this example, we have two examples. The first one is the lawn care niche. We just can't seem to beat that ad. So we ended up creating multiple variations of it. It's not dying. So in this case, it's actually like a short video, just a bit over 30 seconds. But it's exactly what you described before. It's just showing horrible looking lawn at the beginning, but then showing one that looks significantly better. Mm-hmm. And you can clearly see from the screenshots here, we're showing multiple examples. And no matter what we tried, we just couldn't beat the before and after concept in the in this account, no matter what we tried. At the end of the day, this is what people want. Right now, they have a horrible lawn and they want something that looks better. They want a lawn that they can be proud of. And this is what the service does. So all these before and after ads for this customer are absolutely just killing it. So this ad, what I ended up doing here, and it ties directly to what you guys discussed previously about grabbing the viewer's attention. You can see here, this basically two parts of this creative. One part where you can see the woman sad, the background is just 
gray. The whole feeling there is just dark. The other second part of it is happy. You can see happiness. So with these guys, what they do is they have directors, VPs, and executives land their dream job, and they help them earn the money that they know they deserve to make. So on one hand, you can see the before state, the amount of money that that person makes. And, but then on the other hand, you can see the after state. And you can see specifically what they wrote there. Uh, maybe if I zoom a bit, you can see like with executive career upgrades. So they clearly say here, this is how much money you're making now, but this is how much money you could make if you were to come and work with us, take our service. So the whole point here is, again, your customers, they face a problem and they need your solution. So if you can show in your ad what's happening with their life right now and what could happen when they would start using your product, that could really crush it for you. And we've seen this concept of before and after working over and over again. No matter how you tweak it, it just works. Mm -hmm. So definitely give it a go. Yeah. And you all made this correct. This didn't come from the client? This actually came from the client. It yep. did come from the client. Yeah. I'm always interested from an agency perspective, like where the media originates, because we don't do any creative in-house. So it's a strange kind of dual responsibility, isn't it? When you're doing creative with clients, how much they own and how much you own. And I feel like every client's a little bit different. It can go 90-10 either way. Exactly. Yeah. And some of them are really good at what they produce. Some of them, they just don't have the capabilities. And that's where we come in and help. But yeah, with these guys, just that yeah, one was that great. That before and yeah. after picture was so compelling. Like you can't look away. And you know, the black and white to the color was really phenomenal. And and then the girl's face wasn't just a smile. It wasn't like this mirrored image of just sadness and happiness. The sadness was a caricature of sadness, and the happiness was a caricature of happiness. And it just felt so much more compelling. I think that's the thing I'm taking away from everything you're sharing, Kobe, is they're all really unique. The one you showed us prior to with the plants was unique in that the font. And then even the sticky note thing was unique because I'm not used to people just sending me ads of just sticky notes on a keyboard. And then the girl's face, I've seen the before and after like that split face thing done. I mean, gosh, since photography was able to merge, but the way they did it was very unique. And I feel like the meta truth that we're getting to here is you have to find a way to stand out, be unique. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's where creativity comes. That's what I said in the beginning. If you're technical, you're in for a rough ride. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tweet something that you said. You said that media buying is getting easier, but marketing is getting harder. Yep. Yeah. I'm no, going to pretend I said that though. Uh, okay. You can, you can I'll send you an invoice. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's got royalties on that. No, I think that is the takeaway here is like, it's such an old school thing to talk about because it's not like a new tactic or technique. There are tactics and techniques that we're testing all the time. And I mean, I think the AI automation tools from a campaign management perspective are getting better and better as these platforms grow more and more data. I mean, obviously, Performance Max is proof positive of that, for sure. A lot of these Advantage Plus types campaigns within Meta are proof positive of that. But at the end of the day, like you still have to have a compelling creative that creates that that stops the scroll whatever that is and i think we've given a good cross-section of stuff that does do that but there's no one size fits all it has to be within the guidelines of the brand yes of course and in our case sometimes it's us and sometimes it's us just collaborating with the client and i think 
that's one of the beauties of, uh, I think, a lot of our clients is that they do have in-house teams. It's like, all right, well, how can we leverage those in-house teams? Like, we're not going to do the same thing that they're going to do. And that's obviously a cost savings for them. But we will give you overall strategy and assistance there, or we'll do it our, on our own, which is a good way of doing it. But still, like, the focus is on that front-end copy and creative testing stuff, figuring out what works, and then figuring out, all right, what's the next set of that? How can we use campaign style tactics to scale what we know already works? And that was a message that came, it was clear as day from Meta, repeated over and over and over again, figure out what works first, business as usual, and then leverage a lot of these new tools that will help you scale and grow through a certain level of automation, which will also expand your audiences, expand your reach, and then ultimately allow you to scale. So I think we've got some really good examples here, which we will leave links in the show notes. We'll also leave links to the YouTube channel here so you all can take a look at that. So Kobe Topaz, thanks for bringing it to Perpetual Traffic yet again. We will have you back in what, another month for what's working now. So constantly improving, constantly giving you all some ideas. And like I said, if you're a VP of marketing or a director of marketing or a COO or a CEO, this is a show to send to your team and just say, all right, give this a shot, test this out, see what's working. And I think one of the things that teams need to be constantly doing, and I have noticed this with media buyers, is they tend to get into a rut. They tend to sort of just continue to do the things that they've always done. And that's one of the beauties of having a collaborative team is like cross-pollinization. But if you have an internal team, leverage this podcast to be able to do that for your own internal team and then see what the results are. And of course, if you ever need our help, we're always here as well. And Solutions 8 is there on top of it. So let's wrap things up. So make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening, wherever you listen to the podcasts. And let us know what we can do better. We've gotten some good feedback recently, which I think was, you know, stuff that, yeah, a little hurtful. We, a little hurtful. <laughs> we, we make mistakes every now and then. A little, a little uh, caustic, you might say. A little caustic, a little rough. Well received. Yeah, well received, however. So thank you for that. And especially regarding our Nugget episodes, <laughs> we'll, be a little, we'll be a little bit fresher, I think, on the Nugget episodes. I'm pretty sure that one ended with, what are you guys thinking? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. And we're the team here. It's all of us together, Cossum. It's not just our production team. It's, you know, it's the talking heads like us. So take full responsibility for that. But anyway, always get to get positive and negative feedback does change the course of what we do here. Follow me over on LinkedIn uh, and all the tier 11 socials, as well as the perpetual traffic socials are really kind of kicking ass right now. Kasim, especially our YouTube the channel, the tubes. We're, we're digging the we're talking about. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So we're going to this more visual format here, which I think will certainly help you become a better marketer. And like I said, we'll leave links in the show notes there. All resources and the show notes are over at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam. Peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 